Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Great to be together. Another eventful day in America. Uh, So much uh, to talk about. And in a few minutes, we'll get an update, a very personal update from Joe Flynn, the brother of Mike Flynn. Joe Flynn is a retired CEO, lived out in uh, California, down towards Orange County, up towards Orange County, I guess. And he is now living in uh, Florida, he and his wife. uh, He's retired from his current position, but he's kind of the, I don't know, chief of staff to his brother, his older brother, General Mike. Michael Flynn, General Mike Flynn, and we'll get an update on what happened yesterday in that matter and see where things are. I know a lot of our listeners are sure concerned to have uh, General Flynn get freed out, get freed up, get uh, back in the, in the uh, fray politically. I think he will. Uh, it's just taking a lot of time. It's amazing. So we'll talk with Joe Flynn. And later on in the hour, we'll get an update from John Schlafly, the weekly uh, check-in with John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report. He writes a column, the Schlafly Report, that posts over at our sister site, townhall.com. You can uh, go there. And uh, check that out also. So we'll talk with John Schlavely. First, we got to tell you what you need to know, what you need to know tonight. And I have to say, I was talking off the air with our technical director, Noah, uh, and I, you know, I'm spiking the football a little bit here. I mean, I've been predicting for six months or longer. Uh, not, not, that's not fair. Longer, not longer. But ever since Kamala Harris got out of the race, I said she was going to be the VP. And certainly when Joe Biden won, I said she was going to be the VP for sure. And my thinking... Well, so let me tell you two things. What you need to know tonight. I want to tell you my thinking again so you can see it. Crystal clear what's happening. But the second point is so that you know where this is headed. Okay, so what you need to know first. Why did Kamala Harris get picked? What is it? You know, is she good? Does she deliver a certain geographic area? California? Not really. Any Democrat wins California. Did she win a bring a certain um, uh, kind of uh, reputation uh, for, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, leadership or some aspect of her career? Not really. Uh, she's a prosecutor, but she's not a very good prosecutor. Not well, not really well regarded. I don't think nobody thought that kind of uh, prosecuted the low hanging fruit. Uh, things like putting people away for marijuana possession stuff that, oh, OK, you know, kept some people on death row that were innocent. You know, not good, but not known as something really big there. Certainly not a senator of any standing. She's been in the Senate for three years. Uh, you know, is it because of her demographics? Well, maybe she is a hyphenated American. But she didn't get very far with the hyphenated American base in the Democrat Party in the uh, in the in the primary race. Right. So why? Why Kamala Harris? And it's the same reason I told you for months in the primary, the Democrat primary, two candidates, two candidates received the highest you know, the, the number of endorsements from what's called the Democrat superdelegates. What are the superdelegates of the Democrat Party? These are the people who are sort of considered the insiders sufficient that they get a status. They're called superdelegates under the Democrat Party rules. So if you're a former member of Congress or a governor or a former president, Bill Clinton, or a big donor or a former party chairman, you become a superdelegate. And the superdelegates play an outsized role in picking the nomination. In fact, in 2016, they would have been what made sure Bernie didn't get the the nomination if he had gotten further. 
And in fact, Bernie Sanders actually uh, uh, asked for and received an assurance that the superdelegates would not be the leading, would not vote in the first round of the of the election in 2020 at the convention. But he got beat before then. And so back to my point, who are the two the two candidates running for the Democrat primary in the Democrat primary for president who got the most the highest number of endorsements from superdelegates. That's it. That means from insiders in the system. The top one was Joe Biden, of course. And the second one was Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris got the, 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 the highest number. And so here you have uh, uh, two candidates who are the epitome, the kind of absolute epitome of what is at the center of the establishment of the Democrat Party. You have the people that are kind of these two encapsulate what are the ruling class of the Democratic Party in the swamp. And so for all this time, I've been saying, look, you're not going to see the Democratic poobahs allow a sort of outsider, you know, Karen Bass or uh, Val Demings, those two are congresswomen, or somebody who's outside. I I never thought Susan Rice was a realistic pick because you don't really see major party candidates pick a uh, bureaucrat. You know, the last bureaucrat picked to be on the ballot as a a vice president was uh, Sergeant Shriver. Sergeant Shriver was put on to replace Tom Eagleton in 1972 when he was nominated for VP. Tom Eagleton admitted that he had some mental health issues and he went uh, and he had to leave the leave the ticket. And Sergeant Shriver, who was uh, I don't know head of the Peace Corps or something, kind of a bureaucrat, but he had one other characteristic: he was a Kennedy. He was a Kennedy. So my point here is Susan Rice was never real. So what you need to know right now, it's very important, is this is the solidifying of the Democrat establishment. Now, within that, it's interesting to see uh, Kamala Harris is kind of a Clinton appointee, a Clinton uh, uh, kind of uh, player. She's not an Obama insider. Some of the others were Obama types. Susan Rice actually was an Obama. That was Obama's people were trying to sneak her in because she's a total Obama hack. But she'll be secretary of state in the next the next Democrat administration if there is one in the next 12 years or so while she's young enough. But so Kamala Harris, that's what you need to know. She solidifies the Democrats hold by the poobahs, by the moneyed class, by the controllers, by the people who have had control for 15 years and plan on having 15 years more. And here's what you need to know. The second one, though, the second factor of the Kamala Harris pick, and that's this. She is totally of that poobah class and not of the liberal class. She's not, she's actually pretty liberal. She's pretty out there on a bunch of positions, but she mostly is a movable feast. She'll take any position she has to, to be, to be in power. But AOC and Bernie Sanders and, uh, and the squad, you know, Ilhan Omar, all these people, the total progressives, they're looking up and they're saying, huh? After all we did, after all we proved, after all the power we had, we get nothing. And if you listen closely, you're hearing what I've also been saying for three or four or five months. There is a civil war going on in one of the political parties in America, but it's not the Republican Party. The 25 guys and gals that gather at the Lincoln Project, the, the never-Trumper crew that badmouth President Trump, there's about 25 people there. There's not 2,500 or 25,000. There's, it's not a, there's no, there's no problem. The Republican Party is Trump's party. And, and the, and the fight for the future of the party is only after Trump. He's already transformed the party. But over here on the left, 
There's a real battle over the future of the Democrat Party. And what you need to know is you're seeing, well, look closely. You'll see the front page of Politico. I told you it always leans left. Uh, at the front page of the New York Times, you're seeing these inklings of how progressives thought they might get more. And instead, they got this ticket. So here's the overall overarching what you need to know. The same thing that happened in 2016 is happening again. The Democrat poobahs are forcing together a ticket that will contro- be controlled by the poobahs. And, it, and they're betting on the fact that they're just going to win. In 2016, after Obama's eight years, they just knew they were just going to win. It didn't matter if Hillary was you know, famously unlikable. Tim Kaine was famously understated, at least, and not energetic. It didn't matter because they were just going to win. It doesn't matter that Biden is brain dead nearly. That's mean, but he's 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 addled. He's not energetic. There's no one who's excited about him. It doesn't matter that Kamala Harris was run out of the primary because she wasn't popular. She wasn't well liked. She she had a cackly laugh and was kind of not very pleasant. You know, a politics is a popularity contest at its heart, a popularity contest with some policy positions mixed in. And the simple fact is, what you need to know today is Kamala Harris solidifies the poobahs, the Dem money establishment folks in charge, but it sets up the ongoing civil war. And as the civil war in the Democrat Party rages, the problem becomes they don't end up being able to focus on how to win. And and I don't think Kamala Harris moves a single voter in Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, any of the key states. So it's a good day, I think, for President Trump and his campaign. And that's what you need to know. All right, let's take a break. We come back. Let's get an update. We'll get an update from Joe Flynn, the uh, younger brother of General Mike Flynn. See what's going on with the General Mike Flynn matter. And we'll do a, a lot more later on in the program. It's Ed Martin. Don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com. Go over there. Sign up for uh, our daily newsletter. comes out at 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. East Coast time. And uh, you won't regret it. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is an old friend of mine, Joe Flynn. Joe Flynn is a, uh, well, I don't know, Joe, I always get this wrong. He's a retired executive. He was a big executive. He's also a businessman still. But his claim to fame, I think he'd agree, is he's the younger brother of Joe, uh, excuse me, of Mike Flynn, General Mike Flynn. And he's last three and a half or four years, the Flynn family has had to band together to uh, help their brother, General Mike Flynn, get through all this. And yesterday there was a big hearing in Washington, D.C., the Court of Appeals hearing General Flynn's appeal, actually the, the appeal of General Flynn, as well as the Department of Justice, to end the madness, that there should not be any case, that the thing should end, and we're still uh, waiting on this. So first of all, welcome uh, to the program, Joe Flynn. How are you tonight? Ed, thank you so much for having me. I want to make a shout out to all the folks in your on, on the radio program because I was a 20 year uh, resident and uh, of, of South Orange County. So there's a lot of folks on this radio program that probably live in that area. I lived in San Clemente for the last 20 years. I started two companies there and raised my children there. I love that area very much, but left uh, last year. So 
Yeah, and, and, and your sister and, and your sister your sister Barbara Redgate, who's been on the program before, lives even further down the, the coast, down in San she Diego, lives. and raising her family That's there. Right. And uh, yeah, she, she and you are the two the two lead dogs or the trustees on the Mike Flynn Defense Fund. And before I forget, because sometimes I get talking, I forget this. Uh, Joe, tell our mm-hmm. folks what the defense fund is, why it still matters, why, how yeah. much this has been a burden. I, I know, I know mm-hmm. from talking to General Flynn actually earlier today. You know, he, he, he joked a while ago. Generals aren't rich. When you retire, you're not rich anyway. But this yeah, has been a true. backbreaking thing. So tell us about that uh, defense fund, please. Yeah, so we started the defense fund uh, when the when, when things early on. We started the defense fund because we knew that this was going to be a long haul. We had a, a real kind of a sixth sense back in 2017 that uh, this wasn't going to end easy or quickly, and uh, we researched. Uh, legal defense funds, actually, uh, Scooter Libby's defense fund was sort of our model. And, um, hmm. we, we started this and, uh, then we basically, became, you know, started heavily marketing it in the sense of, look, listen, the only way that justice can be done here is if patriots across the country band together and financially support General Flynn in his fight. Uh, uh, in his fight against the deep state and in his fight against uh, the corruption of the Justice Department and the justice system mm-hmm. against him. And, and Barbara and I work really hard at that, and we've been incredibly overwhelmed and blessed by the enormous support that we've received over the years. Now we're talking you know, almost four years now uh, from, from individuals uh, across the country giving $20, $25 uh uh, donations. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, and we've just right. been incredibly blessed by that. And it's kept well, and and, and and yeah. Yeah. yeah, and people get more excited. We're talking with Joe Flynn. They get more excited when they realize that uh, it's it, all that is happening is you're paying for the the great lawyer Sidney Powell to fight her fight. You right. know, it's this is not nobody's. Right. It's not it's not paying for General Flynn to uh, you know for his, no, his no, house no, or his home. Right. This is just just to just yeah. to pay the lawyers. Uh, exactly. What's the website again, Joe? Tell me the what. It's MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. www.MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So tell our listeners how did go how did go yesterday on this hearing? What was what's the and what happens next? Well, I have my personal opinion, and I actually thought it went incredibly well because I thought Sydney was on her A plus plus game. I mean, they 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 threw everything in the kitchen sink at her during her particular, you know, portion of this. And I think, I think that, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, Solicitor General Wall was brilliant. He's, he's, he's like a legal encyclopedia. So I think, I think the DOJ, amazingly now, Ed, the DOJ is now our partner. Before they were our prosecutor in this, now they're our partner in this, amazingly enough. So I thought that those two did very, very well with this. I thought, Beth Wilkinson, uh, Judge Sullivan's lawyer, was very flimsy in her arguments because, as we know, Judge Sullivan is not a party to this. There is no case or nor controversy. The charges have been dismissed. All Judge Sullivan must do is to sign the dismissal. And uh, so that hearing took place. Um, I was pleasantly surprised, actually, at the, re- at the reaction of some of the more liberal judges, and there's a lot of liberal judges on the appeals court in D.C., their reaction to Sullivan's 
lawyer Beth Wilkinson's arguments. I think that they slammed her pretty hard. Um, I was uh, pleasantly surprised at that. I didn't, I didn't expect that. So I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was going into it. <clears throat> at the end of the day, there will be a dismissal of this case. It may take longer, but you know the 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 corpulent, you know, as the expression goes, the corpulent lady has sung, and and <laughs> it's just a matter of it's just a matter of well, time at this point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking with Joe Flynn. And, you know, for for our listeners that haven't followed it closely, I mean, the, the long and the shortest at this point is um, after Sidney Powell got in the case, she basically forced the uh, the prosecution. And to his credit, the attorney general Barr uh, had an investigation. They had to admit, hey, we hadn't shown you all this material. We hadn't let you see right. what was going on, which is required under the right. Constitution. And by the time that was done, both the prosecutors as well as General Flynn said, man, if you'd show me all that, I would have known this was really a, a setup. And I I wouldn't have said yes to trying to work this out at all. And when that was That's done, right. you would have thought it was over. And instead, the judge said, basically, why have I had this case for a couple of years? If you guys were playing games, I'm not going to let go of it. That's that's he's kind of throwing a ten- temper tantrum at this point. But, you know, I would say right. this, Joe, the, the process is the punishment is it how is. I describe these four years. And, and, really and while I think it's true that the process is playing out, that in other words, there's no way it goes any other way than eventually General Flynn is allowed free. They're just continuing yeah. the punishment, the process going forward. And, and I think the American people see it. They recognize it. And every day they do another one of these things. I think it solidifies tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions maybe of Americans that look up and say, General Flynn, he was willing to die for his country as a young army guy, as a mid-level yeah. guy, as a general, and now he's right. being wrung out like this. So it, it, it I know, but I, I, how, how does the Flynn family handle it? Because it's hard for me, and I'm just kind of a friend of you, you all now, not yeah, to get yeah. angry about it. And how do, how do you not yeah. get angry? How does General Flynn not get bitter? Well, I can't say that he doesn't get angry because he does get angry from time to time. With Michael, it's, it, it, it's, it depends on when you catch him. <laughs> and, Ed, you know that. You, you've had those conversations with him. But, but, yeah. but, you know, sometimes you catch him and he's in a really vibrant mood and he's in a very excited mood and he's very gregarious about things. Sometimes you catch him and he's really pissed off. And so it's a, it's a range of motions <laughs> that I think we all go through. Um, but I think all that being said, going forward, um, you know, the fight that he and Sydney put forth to the American people talking, talking about, you know, the rule of law. And if they could do this to a three-star general, what could they do to the, you know, average citizen, nobody citizen with with no stature whatsoever. Imagine that. And so this case is a case for all of the American people. This case is a case about very focused on, you know, the rule of law and um, General Flynn is not going to come out of this as an vindictive, angry, vengeful person. General Flynn is going to come out of this as a person, as a as a citizen, as a general who believes in, the, in American exceptionalism and how the importance of the rule of law in this country and the importance of the Constitution and the and upholding the values of the Constitution and upholding American values. And I think that is the story at the end of the day, regardless of all of our emotions and ups and downs over the last four years. There's no bitterness here. We still love this country. 
We still believe in this country, and General Flynn is still going to be a a warrior for this con- the Constitution and and the American dream and, and American exceptionalism. We're talking with Joe Flynn, and, and uh, Joe, I want to ask you one last question. I'll, ma- I'll make sure to say this, and so we'll finish with this question. But the, the website, again, is MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org, MikeFlynnDefenseFund.org. I'll put it up on social media. What you just said at the end, I want to, I want to go a little bit further. For those of our listeners out there that, that know your sister, Barbara Redgate, and know yeah. uh, who lives down in San Diego area and knows uh, General Flynn yeah. now, I-, I want you to say what I know, which is, not only is he not going to come out of this bitter, uh, he's actually General Mike Flynn is um, he's he's anxious to get through with this because he has some things to say, something very important to say to the American people. And he believes in America enough that he's, uh, you know, I no better way to say it. He's he, he wants to get through because he's got more work to do. And I think the American yes. people, I think, should be encouraged that a guy like him is going to come uh, out and be a big voice. Uh, I say, give me that. Back me up on that. Yeah, no, Ed, I, I think you're 100 percent right here. He's, if there's anything he's doing right now, is he's, he's whatever frustration he have, he is chomping at the bit to be a voice for American exceptionalism going forward for the for the dream of America, the, what, the, the, the shining city of the hill, all, all the different things that you can say about this country. He is, the one thing that he wants to do more than anything is have his voice heard again. And I think it's an important voice. And I think it's a voice that's going to have even more importance now based on what he has been through uh, in, the mm-hmm. fight for, in the fight for the, the rights of the Constitution and the rule of law. So there is no question that coming out of this, General Flynn will be a voice. His voice will be loud. It will be a proud voice. It will be a voice about positive things like freedom, like the rule of law, like friends and like and and faith and all those things that make America great uh, and to make America the greatest country on the wor- in the world. General Flynn will be a strong voice again, and it will happen soon. And it can't happen any sooner because we need his voice. Yeah. All right. Joe Flynn, thank you for your voice and the time. Again, Joe Flynn, his brother is uh, General Mike Flynn at, uh, excuse me, Mike Flynn Defense org. Mike Flynn Defense org is the uh, is the website. Uh, thanks, Ma- thanks, Joe, for the time. We'll talk again soon. You got it. Ed. God bless. Thank you. All right. And by, by the way, follow uh, Joe Flynn on Twitter. He's very active on Twitter at Joseph J. Flynn one at Joseph J. Flynn one. You'll find him there. Great Twitter feed, too. So all right, we'll take a break. When we come back. Oh, we got a lot more to talk about. We'll get an update from uh, John Schlafly, uh, who writes the weekly Schlafly Report column over at townhall.com and a lot more. Be right back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it's uh, that time of the week we have to step over and see our old friend John Schlafly and check in on the Schlafly Report, the weekly column that's authored by John and his brother Andy and runs over at townhall.com uh, and uh, posts on Tuesday night, usually in late late or early evening, not too late. And then also over at phyllisschlafly.com, we have all of John's columns archived there. This week's column is called Football's Goal Line Stand Against COVID. Welcome back, John. How are you? Uh, hello, Ed. How are you this evening? Good to talk to you. 
I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I, I'm 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 wondering about this column you wrote. I saw you working on it. I saw early drafts, and I thought, oh, good. Uh, John and Andy Schlafly will will play the role that their mother, the late Phyllis Schlafly, had. She'll get the the right idea out there, and the the leaders will follow. And by the time the ink was dry on your column, I think two of the big conferences already gave up and bailed. I guess uh, I guess my question is, um, do you have any hope that the hysteria over over you know can Canceling sports is gonna is gonna subside. What do you think? Well, I I think that uh, you know pro sports are one arena, but school sports is something else. And and I think that the students who want to play football they will be heard. I really have hopes that uh, it won't go any further than the two conferences. But um, we're inviting uh, really, uh, and this was, I must you know. Two brothers co-authored the column, Ed, as you mentioned, but we consulted mm-hmm. our other right. two brothers for a little uh, <laughs> learning about this subject of football, and it was one of our other brothers who knew the story about how another president, a president that uh, you know Donald Trump admires, President Theodore Roosevelt, saved college football. And it's an interesting story. You know, he was the president of the United States. He had just been elected to his second term. His you know, his first term was after he succeeded to office, uh, and uh, but then he was elected. It was the year 1905. Now, imagine this, uh, Ed, this is a little bit hard to imagine today, but Teddy Roosevelt was the youngest president we've ever had. He was in his mid-40s. He had a big family, a young family. He had four boys growing up in the White House who ranged in age from 8 to 18. His oldest son was just started as a college freshman, and he wanted to play football. And the, there was a movement in America to abolish football. And huh. uh, because it was a different game then. It was had no rules. And, uh, and Roosevelt called college uh, presidents together and basically made a formalized, rule-bound game out of it and saved it for hmm. the benefit of his own sons and for other boys who would play a contact sports safely uh, during the, their years when that could be valuable. And Roosevelt uh, saw the value of that in his own family. And, and so, um, you know, Trump has already called out for Trump has, you say it may be too late, but Trump has tweeted about this. And uh, mm-hmm. he, he has pointed out that uh, healthy young athletes are at virtually zero risk for the coronavirus. I mean, maybe they'll catch the virus, but they're not going to get sick. Now, Ed, this is so different from what happened 100 years ago during the uh, the previous pa- the flu pandemic of 19. 19- 18 and 19. At that point, young people were hit the hardest by far. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. teenagers and young people died in incredibly, incredible numbers. But that is totally opposite today. There's almost no, no people under the age of 30 who have died anywhere in the world. Uh, and some of them get well, sick, and- but they don't get very sick. And they don't go to the hospital, and they don't go on ventilators. It is not a serious risk for young people. And there's no reason to stop school sports, even contact sports. 
We're talking with John Schlafly, and uh, it's it's the Schlafly Report. This column is uh, football's goal line stand against COVID. And John, here's what I want to ask you. A little pull back a little bit from this because it's the same question of to me of of going back to school. The president did a did a, did a uh, town hall today, I think, with a couple of uh, cabinet members, or maybe it was Betsy DeVos and Kellyanne Conway, a few people. And he talked about if if the, if the schools can't let the kids get back in person, the parents should be able to pick where their kids go to school, let the take their tax dollars with them and move. I think he's I think he's sensing that the American families and and especially, as you point out, that children uh, want something. And when kids start to talk about what they want, uh, maybe not TikTok, they may not have a choice on that one, but on things like, you know, go back to school and all, I think their voice, as you point out, is starting to be heard, and it's starting to be heard through social media and things that the president is pretty good at communicating. But I want to pull back. One of the things that seems to me to be symptomatic right now of this problem, this moment, is the lack of, uh, I don't know, judgment to make proper risk management. You know that, you know, if you didn't have insurance on your car, and I've been with you, John, you need insurance on your car because you're driving. But, you know, and, and if you don't have insurance, you wouldn't leave your house because you'd be afraid that if you got an accident, you'd lose your house. Right. So risk management is assess what the issues are, make smart decisions about it, and then go forward with confidence. And somewhere along the way. And I blame the media because it's what I do right now. I just feel that. I don't even think it's a politician's fault, although I think they feed it. But the media just gets everybody so you're so conditioned to be worried that you can't get past a few facts and therefore just lock it down, just shut down and, and freeze yourself up. And I guess, John, what, what is this different than other times in the last couple of decades? Is it worse? Uh, why is it like this? Well, it is worse, and uh, of course we're in the election season, and I think that the uh, the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, and the people support him, uh, think they are riding a, ra- a wave here. They think they can get all the way to November by uh, exploiting people's fears, fears to go out, fears to gather, um, and and uh, and, they, and a lot and the holding the entire nation hostage to these unreasonable fears. Uh, and um, so, but something has to break through. And, what, you know, one of the things that should break through is the, is, you know, medications that people can take to uh, ward off the, the disease. And there are medications available. I mean, hydroxychloroquine is one, and there are others coming out. And then that sort of ties in what you were saying about insurance. Uh, Yes, it's a dangerous world out there in some sense, and we do need insurance to ward against foreseeable risks, like the risk of driving a car. Um, But we also need uh, protections uh, against uh, coming down with a serious disease and those and and, and uh, so you're right about that uh, Ed but we've got to get back uh, we've got to assess these risks carefully but we have to get back to school we have to get back to work we have to get back to congregating in public places and we have to get back to uh, politics and uh, gathering to s- support our candidate for election this fall I mean, we can't just stay cooped up and watching CNN. Uh, that's what they <laughs> hope we will do, but we can't let them, yeah. uh, you know, force America <laughs> to stay home watching CNN. We just can't allow that. 
Yeah, uh, we're talking with John Schlafly, and again, his column is uh, over at townhall.com, but also archived at phyllisschlafly.com, all they're in there. I just was checking on it. Uh, John, let me get one more uh, question. I know, uh, having spoken to you yesterday on the Andrea K show last night, um, you listened to the entirety, I think, the whole of the, the General Flynn uh, uh, hearing before the Court of Appeals. A little earlier in the show, we talked with Joe Flynn, uh, General Flynn's brother, and, and most of his message was that, hey, you know, General Flynn is, um, is resolved, he's going to get through this, and when he does, he's got something to say. John, what you're, you're an attorney. People may not realize that you're, you're an attorney, also among other things. But how, when you listen to that debate, uh, um, excuse me, the argument yesterday, the General Flynn argument, and Sidney Powell in there, and the Solicitor General, and the judges, it, did you get? Did you feel like okay, this is just a kind of mistake? It'll be mapped out, or did you say this is really off balance? The judiciary's off balance. I, I didn't ask you that last night. I wonder is it is it too much to say that the balance is lost, uh, or is it just a mistake and it'll work its way out? No, uh, I think off balance is a good way to put it, uh, and uh, you know I, I would certainly say that the. Two people who spoke in favor of General Flynn, who were Sidney Powell, who was superb, and the acting Solicitor General, Jeffrey Wall, who was also excellent. Uh, but those two, they were only two, and they faced off against a battery of, I mean, three hours of questions from, uh, from very, very well-prepared, hostile, liberal Democratic judges. And... Um, so I'm afraid the votes aren't there, but uh, uh, I, I, I would say if, if your listeners care about this, uh, if you go just about, uh, just almost to the end of that long segment, and it's online, you can find it, and listen to Sidney Powell's two-minute summation. It was just wonderful, and, you re- and she mm-hmm. really pulled it all together about what is really going on in this this terribly unfair ordeal that General Flynn has been subjected to. But I hope Mm. that, you know, eventually he will be released, and then he'll have the ability to uh, seek accountability from the people who put him in this uh, box for the last four years. And we know who they are, and it's just Mm -hmm. waiting for this to be over before he can uh, turn around and get recovery against those people. Yeah. Well, we have to root for it. Yeah, we have to root for it. All right, John, thank you. Thank you, John Schlafly, for the update on your column as well as on that comment. Uh, again, I'll put it up on social media over at townhall.com, the Schlafly Report, and also available at phyllisschlafly.com. Thank you, John. Okay, Ed. All right, we'll take a break. In just a moment, we'll be back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Ed Martin and the Pro-America. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. No matter what the big tech giants of Silicon Valley say, America knows they have deep-rooted political bias against conservatives. The tech giants are not even restricting their bias to average Joes like you and me anymore. Now Twitter actively tries to make sure people don't see President Trump's tweets. As a monopoly service provider, Twitter should not be allowed to regulate the statements of a political candidate to the advantage of his opponent in a contested election. Decades ago, when the broadcast networks dominated politics, Congress passed a law to forbid network television from rejecting political ads based on their content. Another law established the Fairness Doctrine, which required broadcast television and radio to present both sides of controversial issues of public importance. 
Twitter, Google, Facebook, and other big tech companies enjoy monopoly power and immense wealth because of the regulatory advantages given to them by government. They do not pay the real costs of the traffic they attract, and they should not be picking sides in political discourse by placing derogatory labels on the postings of certain political candidates. Twitter gets its internet traffic without paying a dime for it. This free riding by Twitter and Google and Facebook, for that matter, enables them to punish viewpoints they disfavor. If Twitter had to pay its costs, as radio stations do, it would be begging for a content provider such as President Trump to post on its service to attract customers. Twitter would become more like talk radio, where robust competition to attract listeners results in less censorship, not more. Conservatives can't ignore the role social media plays in elections, but we can't count on it to carry the day for us either. Old-fashioned campaigning is still so powerful. Now is the time for all citizens who care to volunteer for a good campaign. Stuff envelopes, make phone calls, pass out flyers. Grassroots volunteers are a powerful part of any political success. With big tech working against us, we need all hands on deck if we're going to save America. Find a good candidate and volunteer today. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Thank you. Hey, I got a behind on these interviews, so I only have a minute or so left. Let me set this up for you. This will surprise you when I say this. Let me wait to hear. Politicians lie. Huh. Well, that's weird, huh? Politicians lie. This is so surprising to you listeners. But I got to say, it's a little bit more brazen than even I expected. As Joe Biden kicked off his, his new uh, tandem, he and his uh, co-president Kamala Harris, he uh, said he led with the Charlottesville hoax, the lie perpetrated by the media that the president of the United States, Donald Trump, praised neo-Nazis and white supremacists. It didn't happen at Charlottesville. It didn't happen after Charlottesville. And Joe Biden cited it without any fact checking and nobody stopped him. Well, tomorrow we're on this program, we'll have Joel Pollack on at Breitbart.com. He, he has debunked the Charlottesville, the fine people, so-called fine people hoax. We'll talk to him about that tomorrow, so come on back. Thank you for listening. Thank you, as always, to our great technical director, Noah, for putting things together. Joanna, for booking the show. Go to ProAmericaReport.com to listen again to any of these great interviews. And be back tomorrow night. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.